Hello, everyone, and welcome to Martelloop Church. Today is part four of our series of messages on the Beatitudes, a series where we're taking each of Jesus's eight blessings and seeing how uh, each one of them can become a lens for seeing and engaging God more in life. So today we're going to unpack these words. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for things to be as they should be, uh, for things to be right again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. And as with every message in this series, I've also written a spiritual practice that you can personally engage in response to uh, this particular blessing. So last week, I met with somebody to talk about something else, this young guy, and uh, as he's leaving the meeting, he says, by the way, I'm finding all kinds of deep meaning engaging these uh, spiritual... Honestly, somebody did say, I didn't even ask. Engaging these spiritual exercises. Um, They were helping him better understand himself and God and himself before God. So that was good to hear, because you write these things, and you don't know if anybody's really all that interested in uh, in doing the homework. But uh, yeah, the homework is going to be available for this message and for the rest of this series, and you'll find all of the practices, one for each beatitude, at our church website, martelloopchurch.ca, under my blog, uh, uh, creatively entitled John's Corner. And uh, one last reminder, on June 22nd, we're going to have a Zoom call uh, where those of you who are interested, uh, and I, we can have a communal conversation about these practices and how they've impacted your life. So if you want a link for that, email the office or send me a note via any one of our social media pages. June 22nd, 7 o'clock. Okay, before we dive in to Blessed Are Those Who Hunger and Thirst for Righteousness, Here again are all eight of the Beatitudes. And as you listen, always looking for different ways to listen, right? I I want you to try to bring um, a a time in your life that was a troubled time to mind. Um, And if you can, imagine hearing these words spoken to you when you were in that place, um, that place where you'd uh, just suffered a major loss, or um, somebody had taken advantage of you, or you were rejected, um, or left behind, or feeling desperately alone. Um, Try to imagine what it would have been like to uh, maybe even hear face-to-face from the lips of Christ uh, these words, these blessings uh, spoken for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Please join me in a prayer. Thank you, uh, Jesus, that you spoke and speak these Beatitudes to each and all of us, and that the promises that they contain uh, will be fulfilled because of the authority of the one who has spoken them. So be authoritative by your spirit now, dwelling within us, surrounding our lives, leading us to truth, and speak in a way through the unpacking of these few words, um, a way that uh, transforms our view, our eyes, our ears, our hearts in relation to our world so that we see and feel and hear the way you do. So do that work in us, we pray, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> okay, thought exercise. Um, won't take long for you to probably think of your response to the question. Question, what is the one wrong thing in this world that uh, more often than others uh, upsets you the most, that simply shouldn't be happening still? Uh, this is 2021, that whenever it does happen, consistently evokes incredulity in you. For me, um, earlier in the week, uh, but for the past few months, it's been this uh, broader uh, issue of vaccine inequity. Um, ever since I got my second dose of Pfizer last Wednesday, um, and then I would go every day to the New York Times vaccination by countries list to see, again, all the G7 rich countries on the top of the list in terms of the percentage of population that's been vaccinated, and then all of the African and South Asian and other poor countries uh, filling out the entire bottom of the list. And then inevitably, after getting depressed about that, I'd read a story about vaccine distribution within our North American cities, and sure enough, the same pattern plays out, better access in wealthier parts of the city, uh, less so in the poorer parts of our cities. And then I'd read a story about some vaccine tourism that some rich folks have been engaging in to get to the front of the line earlier. And then I would go, yes, but you're a Canadian. You're at the front of the line, globally speaking, John. And then I'd realize that while this vaccine inequity uh, is hitting a nerve for me, of course, it's just a symptom of a much longer standing, intractable global inequity that just continues to come back and haunt my life. Uh, this is the way the world is uh, economically rich and poor. The 1%, arguably us, all of us in North America, here at least, and then the rest. And this, of course, uh, this is not the way it's supposed to be. 
And surely, Lord, this must break your heart. And surely I know that to be true because uh, helping the poor and taking care of the poor and the stranger and, and, and the alien at, at your gate and those who do not have is one of the most predominant themes in the Bible. As the writer of the Proverbs says, speak up and, and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Like two, three thousand verses in the Bible that echo that command from God. The God who sees those who suffer very clearly all the time sees those who suffer economically, whose heart is with and always with the disadvantaged, um, who is always on their side. And when I think about God feeling what I'm feeling and what's bothering in me and my heart falls in sync with God's, uh, yeah, recently seeing all those people in India, right, last week, um, dying unnecessarily because of vaccine shortages and healthcare deficiencies and not enough oxygen, and then talking to my brother-in-law, Anjay, who's from India, and sure enough, yes, he has family who have died from this, or my Punjabi neighbor, uh, Beer Paul, uh, from across the street, and he tells me of a cousin who died. She left a young boy, and that's still echoing and reverberating in me, this young boy who I don't know, who I ought to know. But when my heart falls in sync with God's, I find myself getting a little overwhelmed, and I'll, I'll ask, pray, ask, like, how do you do this, Lord? How do you, time after time after time, after year after year, watch all of this play out? I mean, if only there was a way to permanently eradicate economic disparity. Or maybe for you, something else came to mind. All of the horrible stories of racism and xenophobia that have been coming up in these past few weeks here in Canada are our innately human capacity to ignore the human dignity of others and deny their rights because of mere superficial differences like ethnic background or skin color. I mean, that Muslim family gets mowed down in London because of their faith? You know, 215 uh, children's bodies uh, get seen uh, buried in a hidden place in a residential school in Kamloops, and, and where else, Lord? Black lives not mattering, continuing to not matter in so many ways. Such, such a horrible capacity in us to ignore God's heart for people, God's ever-equal, always-equal love for everyone that he's made on the face of this planet. God does not show favoritism, the Apostle Paul writes. God loves people from every tongue and tribe. That's the, uh, that's the end of the story picture that the book of Revelation paints. And God must be horrified at the way and ways we continually racially mistreat his children. Or maybe the environment came to mind. You know, that huge old forest tree, that picture that's been going around on the internet, uh, reminding us of all of the uh, ecological devastation that is being wrought upon God's good creation. I mean, we're trashing God's garden. 
living life in the over-consuming ways we do. And it's like every person of faith that I know, or so many of us, have forgotten that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This world belongs to God. It's, it's his place that we're trashing, that we're leaving our mess in. Or maybe you responded to my question with something else. The list is obviously long. But let me tell you, whatever it was, that unjust thing that gets you again and again, you can know that God sees it and grieves over it, over the injustice of it all, too. In, in ways, and arguably with a magnitude that you or I can't even begin to imagine. And when you notice, when you see that story, and then feel what you feel, it rises up within you, and then this desire to want to make it better, to, for things to change, to be as they should, when you feel that whole process playing out in you, you are echoing God's heart because you are made in the image of a justice-seeking, justice-bringing God, a God who will not stand in justice. And so to learn and yearn, to learn about and yearn for justice is very much a built-in thing. In a Regent College lecture that I listened to years ago, theologian Eugene Peterson said, in relation to this fourth beatitude, uh, these words, that yearning for things to be made right is a basic human need, just like hungering and thirsting. And then Bible commentator Dale Bruner, who wrote a great book commenting on the Beatitudes, writes, the hungering and the thirsting, people who hunger and thirst, long for what is right. They crave justice. They cannot live without God's victory prevailing. For them, right relations in the world, and this is all relational brokenness, right, in all of these things we talk about where injustice is at work. For them, right relations in the world are not just a luxury or a mere hope, but an absolute necessity if they are to live at all. So blessed are you when you can't live with things the way they are, in a way that's like not being able to live without water. Blessed are you when you can't live without trying to fix things, at least do something on your part, even as you can't live without eating. Blessed are you for when you yearn for what God yearns for, for you will be filled, Jesus says. Filled. Filled with what? Well, I suppose ultimately, filled with what life with God as it should be, doing what God wants done, feels like and offers. Filled with a sense of self that comes with knowing God in doing just things all the time in your life. Filled with the hope that one day God will keep his promises and make all things fully and completely new again. But of course, given the list I started this message off with, an ever 
long list and ever list. We're not there yet, right? That one day is not yet here. God's kingdom is here in part, but but one day will be here fully. We live now in this ever-yearning, tense and broken middle space, somewhere between promise and fulfillment. But that doesn't mean that we can't be about bringing justice in the world, and it certainly doesn't mean that we can't know and experience God and God's power and presence in this messy middle time and place. And and thinking about it this week uh, in a more pragmatic way, um, I, I think there are all kinds of ways that we can know and experience God and therefore know who we are and know who God is and know what to do um, in this process of trying to be people of justice, more like people of justice in the world, places where we can know and experience God in the actual doing of our just acts. As we co-see the world, seeing what God sees, as we co-yearn for justice, exercising that thing God put in all of us, even as God yearns for justice, as we co-act in our lives with God by the power of His Spirit, setting up circumstances, coordinating the right time and the right place, um, co-act with God to make things right. And then, quite literally and mystically, I guess, I think we can know God through the very people that we're trying to help. And while I'm not naive enough to believe that any one of us can change the whole world, I do believe that each of us, in our own way, can make a move, even a small move, into a more just direction and change our immediate worlds. And and the collective impact of that could be immense. I do believe that you and I can act more justly in our lives, our everyday lives, and everyday kinds of ways, and know God in the doing. And I'm thinking that more often than not, that will happen in very small, insignificant, one would say even easier to do than the big things kind of ways. A common co-seeing with God experience that plays out for me in my life happens every time I meet a man uh, named Brian who lives in my neighborhood and uh, who is always walking back and forth along 51st Street, uh, part of the same area where I walk. And Brian is in his late 40s and has been totally blind since childhood, like completely blind. And he walks 51st Street with this long white cane and I can usually see him coming for blocks. And over the years, we have had so many good talks. He's a very uh, bright and thoughtful man and uh, you know, knows what's going on um, in our neighborhood, kind of brings me up to speed half the time. Um, but sadly f- for me, um, and this is a confession, um, there have been moments where I have seen Brian coming, and I just spoken to him two days ago or last week, and what are we going to talk about, etc., etc. And I have pondered the thought of not speaking to Brian and actually um, just walking right up to him and then walking over onto the grass boulevard and then continuing to walk past him silently. 
willfully adding to his blindness by acting that way. And I know that's horrible, right? Isn't there a story that Jesus told about priests going to the other side of the road and just uh, horrible? And yet, uh, that is in me. And I know that is in all of us. There is a difference between seeing a person and actually seeing a person. Seeing them in a way that cannot be ignored. Seeing deeply into their life circumstance and therefore their need. Seeing them fully for who they are as people with dignity made in the image of God. Jesus once spoke to his disciples about this seeing, seeing perception problem with these words. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them, people who don't get it, don't get what my kingdom's about, can't hear my voice, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart have become, has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. In, in order to see how God sees, we, all of us, need to be healed of our blindness in order to see and engage God in those first seeing justice moments, a place where we can experience the presence of God, we need new eyes. This is the first thing that needs to happen if you want to experience God through acts of justice more. Otherwise, you will not see a thing. Oh, you'll see, but you won't see a thing. Uh, second step in the process, this co-yearning with God when you do see the thing for what it is, the brokenness, the injustice, it's, it's also something that comes up when I meet with Brian. Um, sometimes it starts with me noticing him coming down the road, and as he's getting closer, he's approaching a curb, and I am, and there's a cross street, and he's starting to cross the street, and as soon as he gets, you know, without his markers of the grass on the either side of the sidewalk, he gets onto the street, and he goes askew. He's going in the wrong direction. He's going to miss the sidewalk by 10 feet. And I, I, you know, if something grows out, I go, Brian, you're going to... And it's as though the uh, navigational uh, predicament that he's in starts to grow a greater sense of compassion in me for him to safely find his way. Uh, as he goes off course, and I see him going more off course, my heart seems to go or fall into a more on-course place. And it's then that I want to help him more, and did that day. And, and thinking about how that plays out, it almost feels as though it's a bit of a divine setup, that God providentially is working in little circumstances like that, little events that play out that way, uh, so that they play out in a way that causes what you first see in your heart to be kindled, and, and then to, to fan into flame and glow. Because God certainly feels for every one of that blind man's steps. 
And God sees his circumstance with perfect clarity, and God knows that Brian needs to feel like he's a part of this community and can contribute as a meaningful member of this community like all of us. God knows all that about Brian and wants all of that for him. And so God sends his servant, a pastor, to be Brian's fellow community member and a part of his life and invite Brian into my life. And so, to, to feel the yearning you feel when you first need to help is to feel what God is also feeling in that very moment, arguably. And I, I believe that it's in those need-to-help moments that God's Spirit nudges that awareness in us and causes the compassion to rise up within us. Jesus used the word translated into the Greek splankthna, something that rises up from your gut. Uh, when the uh, Good Samaritan saw the, the, the mugged man on the side of the road, when Jesus saw the crowds um, looking for answers, etc., etc., feeling the Spirit helping us feel from within what God feels about the situation. And God sets us up for those moments, points them out, and even as a parent sees something meaningful that they want their child to see, notices something that they want their child to notice and be moved by and feel, in that moment where the child sees it for what it is, surely God is delighted when we see what he sees and our lives fall into sync with his. And then, of course, it doesn't stop there, right? God yearns for us to act. And it's often in the co-acting moment with God where God's presence is made most concrete. As we incarnate our lives into the brokenness of another, of a broken situation, we do a very Jesus-like thing. And when we do God's good work, actually do it in whatever way we can do it, our faith becomes real. It becomes substantive. It, it takes on weight and authority. Whoever has two coats, Jesus said, must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. <laughs> two coats? How many coats do I have? I have a half dozen. God inhabits real acts of justice like those that Jesus calls us to. And when you do something, your faith is enfleshed and embodied, and there's something about the concreteness of action that solidifies your capacity to sense God's very real presence. The concrete action puts you in a place where, in some beautiful, mystical way, in and through the doing, Christ is near. Christ in you, loving your neighbor. Christ in you, helping. Okay, the last way you can know God through acts of justice is literally, I believe, um, through the person or persons that you're helping, God speaking to you, revealing God's self to you through them. 
At the end of his haunting parable on the, of the sheep and the goats, it's a long one, but basically separating the sheep and the goats, Jesus teaches, and then to the goats, he says, when I was in prison, when I was hungry, when I was lost, you never visited me, so away you go. And then to the others, uh, uh, the sheep, he says, uh, I was in those same places, and you came and took care of me. You visited me. Uh, welcome into my kingdom. Uh, both people on both sides are going, what? I don't remember ever doing this to you. And yet Jesus says at the end of his little parable to these two different groups, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, these brothers and sisters of mine, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the imprisoned, you did for me. Truly I tell you, whatever you did For one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And I suppose there are two equally compelling, although maybe one a little bit more for me, ways that you can take this. You you did it for me on my behalf. You cared for them. You were my surrogates in terms of doing this justice-bringing work. Or you did it for me as I was present and living by my spirit in that person who was on the side of the road, who was poor, who was blind, who was lost, who needed your help when you cared for them. When you cared for them, you were caring for me. My creations, my children, my people in whom my spirit lives. And that I know is true because I've experienced it only only a couple times in my life but profound experiences of in the most concretely engaged places, seeing the face of Christ in the people I was helping. A a moment where time stops and, and nothing else matters. And the whole moment was just Christ, Christ in me and Christ in them and Christ in and through, before and above all things. Christ, the hope of glory. Christ and a blind man named Brian who walks 51st Street in Glenbrook. Christ in each and every one of those children who was buried in Kamloops in, in an unmarked grave and forced to go to a residential school to get their identity out of them. Their God-given identity pushed out of them. Christ in every person who suffers from racism and xenophobia. Christ in the poor. Christ in the disadvantaged. Christ in the overlooked. Christ in the exploited. Christ living on the streets of our city. And when you interpret that verse this way, well, it sort of ups the ante, doesn't it? In terms of who it really is that we're helping, and in terms of who we are representing, who we've been made by to represent him in this way, and who we can know and experience in the moment of helping bring justice into our world. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled with with that. 
with me, Jesus says. Please join me in a prayer. Lord, what is there in this life apart from knowing you and knowing you more and being about your work of eradicating injustice and reconciling all broken things and making new um, this world that you made uh, to be perfect, relationally healthy and strong and good for everyone, um, now fallen, new again. So uh, as we, hopefully, um, each of us want to up our game in terms of the role we play, close to home and and in bigger and other ways, um, inspire us by your Spirit to see what you see, to hear what you hear, to be able to act in ways that have the authority of God And then the transformative, world-renewing efficacy um, that you bring (laughs) to getting your good work done, to bringing justice to all. May your power work through each of us, through all of us as a church, through our little Martelloop church as we start to pivot towards actually doing live services and getting more actively engaged in our community. May the Spirit of Christ lead, guide, and keep us in all of this so that the world can be restored and your name honored and glorified. Pray this, Heavenly Father, in your name, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus. Amen.